you're looking to grow from six to seven figures in revenue a year, or seven figures a year in revenue to seven figures a month in your e-commerce business, or if you're feeling like you've plateaued in your e-commerce business, this is the podcast for you. You're listening to the Journey to Eight Figure Ecom Business podcast. My name is Emmanuel Alea, founder and CEO of Alea Systems, where we build systems that build brands online and teach e-commerce founders how to go from six figures a year to six figures a month in 90 days or less. Let's get my first e-commerce business from zero to seven figures in two years and seven to eight figures three years later. Since then, we've created an agency to help others recreate the same success, partnering with over 50 e-commerce businesses as clients. In just the last year, we've helped 12 of them go from six figures to seven figures and five of them 10x their businesses going from around 30K a month in revenue to over 300K a month in revenue. And we're just getting started. Now, remember, caution you, this podcast isn't for everyone. This is for folks who already have an idea, you're already selling, but you're also not funded and you're using your own cash to grow your own business bootstrapped. You're trying to have a life while also having a business, but feeling the pressure of having to do it all yourself. If these are your struggles, we're here for you and you're going to get the most value from this podcast. All right. So again, in the first couple podcast episodes, we've been talking about that first phase of the journey from start to eight figures, what it looks like to go from side hustle to a full-time income with your e-commerce store. I really stress that the most important component is understanding product market fit and validating that you've achieved it while making sure you have a good product margin, right? In the last couple episodes, we're going to talking about the next phase of the journey, which is what it looks like to go from a full-time income to hiring a full team. And we'll be continuing that discussion about that phase in today's episode. In this podcast episode, we'll continue our discussion about the second phase of the journey, going from full-time income to having a staff managing your business for you. Uh, and it's going to be a rocky one. It's going to require a large mindset shift to get there, uh, to get you to a full team. And so in this episode, we're going to focus specifically at the myths, right? And the beliefs that get in your way at this point, right? The beliefs you either need to get rid of or adopt as your own in order to be successful. And the traps that will keep you stuck as a solo entrepreneur or founder with helpers, right? Um, We just can't seem to make the leap to a successful company with a team that runs itself. That's the goal. All right, before we do that, let's take a stock of where you're at, right? Uh, when you're ready to go from solopreneur to full-time team, right? You've got this f- full-time income now, right? So what does that mean? You've achieved product market fit. You've priced your products for a healthy margin, healthy product margin. You passed the point of getting consistent, repeatable sales, which got you to around 10000 to 30000 a month in revenue and move from side hustle to full-time income, right? You're getting that 2500 to 7500 in revenue a month, uh, potentially coming back. Whether you decide to reinvest in the business or not, you're profitable, right? And it's consistent. Uh, you built a robust supply chain with a solid tech stack, right? You focus on the right things. And you built a customer acquisition pipeline that converts strangers in your target market into buyers of your product. And like we talked about the last episode, you avoided the pitfalls and distractions that come from early success when you're finally making enough to quit your job and do this thing full time, right? Doing the the strange marketing tactics or uh, PR and giveaways and all those kinds of things. You, You were able to avoid those distractions and focus on the customer acquisition tools that you needed. At this point, you're probably doing a little bit more. 
you're probably doing more than 10 to 30K. You're probably doing around 50,000 to 84,000 a month. You're almost at that uh, seven-figure run rate, right? Basically making 84,000 a month maybe, right? You're probably at half a million to a million year, and you have consistency finally, right? Now you have some peace of mind. Before you were always wondering, I hope today's going to be a good day. I wonder if we're going to make some sales today. Is it going to be as good as yesterday, right? Your orders per day, your customers per day, your customer service tickets per day, your social media posts per day, and your engagement per day, you're actually starting to get so consistent that you can actually predict it. Like, oh, we're doing a grand a day. Tomorrow, we're probably going to do 1,100 to 1,200. Payday's coming up. We're probably going to hit 2,500 this weekend. Like, you can predict now. There's some predictability, okay? You figured out your messaging, and you know what key messages convince people your product will solve their problem, that your company is trustworthy, and that any objections they have, you have an answer for it, right? These are things that you've solved. You're good to go. And most importantly, you're making money, your personal bills and pay, paying yourself so you don't have to get a job doing something else. You made it. Right? Like you've actually got a business that supports you and you, that you can do full time. Like this is something you should be proud of. You should be patting yourself on the back. I know we don't feel that a lot, uh, which we'll talk about in a sec, but uh, you should be proud. Right. Uh, you made it. However, it's still just you. Right you're probably a little, getting a little overwhelmed, just kind of busy, or just you and some helpers, right? Maybe you have a family member or a couple of friends that are just kind of helping you out, you know, or a virtual assistant part-time that's taking care of some things for you. Uh, not a full-time, dedicated, 40-plus-hour-a-week employee who you pay market-rate salary, right? Uh, and you're making enough to cover your bills, but not enough to hire anyone else, and you have a new problem. You're overwhelmed. There's just too much to do, too many things to learn, to try, to test and follow up on. Uh, you need help, but you just can't quite afford it. I mean, these helpers, they're great, but only when they're around, <laughs> right? And that's the key to this stage, right? Uh, you need that. You need these folks to come in, but they're just not as reliable as someone who's dedicated, who was hired through an interview process and who uh, gets payroll, right? That is on a payroll, but that's not their fault. You're probably not paying them nothing. <laughs> you're not paying them anything at all. Or you're not paying them what they're actually worth. Not because you don't want to, and that's what you tell them, right? It's just that you can't afford it yet, right? And even if you could pay them, the sad part is you don't have enough work for them, right? Because even though you're consistently making sales, it's not enough with all the inventory buying that you have to do and all the different types of people you have to hire and all the roles you need. Uh, you just don't have enough work for them, okay? So... I'll tell you what, this transition is one of the hardest transitions to make. Uh, and there's certain books like Scaling Up and uh, Vern Harnish's book that talk about this as the valley of death for businesses, right? This is for small businesses. And this is where most successful founders who have achieved that product market fit and are scaling pretty quickly, move from that side hustle when you're growing uh, fast, like it's hard, right? And there's a reason for that, which we'll talk about next, right? There's, there's several reasons, actually. It's difficult because this is a very different skill set now than what got you to this point, you know, um, and it's where most businesses flounder. Either they they don't necessarily fail, they just kind of flounder and don't really break out, right? Because you're doing something different than what you did before. You were focusing on product market fit. You were focusing on understanding your customer. You were focusing on uh, bringing products to market to solve a pain point. Uh, you needed to build trust, right? Now what you need is you need to have other people manage the systems, 
right? And that's an entirely different, a completely different skill set. That's management, right? And that's not something you had to do, right? So it's a management challenge. And what happens is you need to be prepared to give it as much time as you gave learning your business, learning entrepreneurship, learning product market fit. Because what a lot of people think is, oh, just hire someone. <laughs> it's not that simple, folks, because when that person comes in, they come in with all their stuff, right? Humans are messy. People are messy, right? And for a lot of entrepreneurs, this is something between pain and torture, right? It is definitely not their first choice when they could be building cool products or interacting with customers. Instead, they're trying to figure out time off policies and vacation policies and payroll systems and, and benefits and all these kinds of things, right? The thing, though, is, is as much as it may be a scary thing or a frustrating thing and painful thing, uh, it's it truly is the difference, right, between whether you can in, build a sustainable business that increases exponentially or you flounder into a lifestyle business that just kind of pays your bills or worse, fails, right? Uh, you got to be able to make it out of this valley of death, period. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to hit that rocket ship growth that a lot of you guys are looking for. Uh, or achieve that, you know, you know, generational wealth type of scenario, or at least something where you can successfully uh, pay your family, make a six-figure income from your business plus, right? So that's what this uh, we've got to understand first, right? It doesn't have to be as stressful as we think, though, right? We have to understand that the valley of death exists, but it doesn't have to be stressful, right? There are reasons why it seems so painful and strange and stressful. And I'll tell you first, before we dive into to, in the next podcast episodes about the tactical parts of it, the first part is it relates to our mindset and beliefs around it, right? Around this phase of the business. And that's what we're going to talk about in this, in this podcast. You notice everything I've said so far is related around feelings. It feels like somewhere between pain and torture. It feels hard. Management is difficult. It's not what I want to be doing. I want to talk to customers. I want to build products, right? That's what I want to be doing. But now I'm stuck dealing with people problems. Why don't they just get it? Why don't they just do their work, right? So we're going to work on those mindset and beliefs. And we're going to debunk some myths that get us stuck in this pain paradigm so we can break free and manage the systems, processes, and people that we need to make it out of the valley of death. Now, remember a couple of different things that we'll be going over. There's different stages of growth, right? So you made it through the side hustle, you made it through full-time, you made it through hiring, getting to the hiring staff part. Uh, the first myth that we're going to dispel is discounts are bad. Or excuse me, we're going to start with just hire someone, right? That's the first one you need to really look at and get over. You get over that really quickly, right? Here's why. You can't just hire someone. Anyone you bring on, comes with strings attached, right? I see it all the time. People are like, I'm the idea person. I come up with the ideas, I come up with the products, I come up with all this stuff. Yeah, but at the same time, you have the responsibility for the business. Otherwise, go get a job, right? So you have to accept that you're not just going to hire someone. If you come up with a great idea, the execution is 98% of that idea, right? Think about it, the way I like to think about it is uh, licensing agreements, right? If you go and you invent a product, you know, you may get two to 5% royalty on that if they buy the license from you and then handle the manufacturing, the distribution, the fulfillment, the marketing around that. They're going to give you a two to 5% royalty. You're just sitting back collecting a check on your invention, right? So if you're thinking of yourself as I'm just the idea person, then you got it all wrong, 
and you're in for a rude awakening when you bring people on who 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 may say that they can and that's where you get stuck either you're not going to be able to find people one of two things will happen if you think you're the idea person and you go find someone to execute it for you i'm the idea person i have this great idea you you go make my idea happen you're going to have them say no right away they're like, i don't get it this doesn't make sense they won't do it or worse they'll say yes and that's the worst thing that could happen in that scenario because i guarantee you they don't get it right because again if you're doing entrepreneurship right uh, they don't, you're doing something unique and innovative, right? It's almost like an artist. What if an artist was like, Hey, you know what? I have this great idea for a painting. I need someone to paint it for me, right? No one's ever going to truly understand your vision the way you understand it. So you need to be willing to get rub up, roll up your sleeves and you don't have to do it all. Let me not say, I'm. let me not say that you just have to be involved in the execution. Right, the people I'm talking to, and you know who you are, are the people who are like, "Ooh, I'm not a detail person. Ooh, I don't like data. Oh, that's the technical stuff. Like you guys handle that, right? Like, if you're that person, I'm sorry, but you're going to struggle. Right? It's going to be hard for you. You're not there yet. Remember who we're talking to? We're talking to solo founders currently, right? Maybe later on, you could do that where you just have people around who have learned and in the uh, EOS traction methodology, we call them visionary integrators, right? I'm talking about visionaries, right? You you have to find that integrator at some point, but you don't have that person yet. The integrator is not here to take your vision, take your idea, understand from you what it is you're looking for, understand you, the way your brain works, the way your mind works, where this idea came from, have the context of the business, and be able to translate that into an ex a system, an execution, into processes, into instructions to a team, into who we should hire or who we should leverage to get this going. That's not where you're at right now. So, just hire someone. That's a myth. It doesn't work. And please, by all means, don't, don't fall for it. The next myth that I want to dispel is, uh, this is for some of the folks who are a little more seasoned in the digital marketing space and the online course space, and maybe spent a lot of time at their last job researching this and then jumped into the, their side hustle on their businesses. Let me just start with Facebook ads. Just Facebook. Everybody's on Facebook ads. I gotta do Facebook ads. I gotta do Facebook ads and say start there. Nah, that's not gonna work. It's not gonna help you uh, for several reasons. First of first of which is 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 it is expensive to get those going right. You're paying. You're basically partnering with Facebook to be your be your salesperson, and they need a, a cut. They're gonna take their their money right. Uh, they want to be paid, and so they're going to charge you for every customer they bring to you. And it may not seem that way because you're like, no, 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 I just gotta get my ROAS, my ROI, I'm looking at those metrics, but you have a cost per acquisition. You have to pay to play. You're not gonna have one ad or one person come in uh, before without you paying them. And so if you haven't uh, done this before, especially, you're gonna waste a lot of cash. And people say, oh, you gotta spend money to make money, you gotta burn a lot of cash. No, you don't. You don't need to do that. Right, because remember, we've talked about a whole lot of other strategies that don't require this product market fit, or you've got other things to do before you go hire the salesperson, because you're going to have to learn the platform. And again, as a solopreneur or somebody just getting going, you don't have time to become a Facebook ad expert. Right? We built an entire agency after years of running our own stuff, and we still aren't experts at it because not only do once you figure it out, uh, not only is it um, hard to just to learn it in general. But you've also got to keep up with all the changes. It's constantly changing. 
If you haven't heard about the conversion API stuff and the iOS 14 stuff going on this year, then you don't understand how big a deal this is, right? Like a huge major shift. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, this has never happened before. Well, you haven't been around very long if you think that. Because every year there's something that major. The year before that, it was Power 5 and CBO, right? The Google folks, every every kind of update that comes out, that's constantly happening. So you just don't have the energy and the time to figure this out, right? So I don't believe that you should build your initial business on Facebook ads, right? Or on Google ads, whatever it may be, ads. It, one is the cost, right? The second is the learning, right? That you have to learn this platform. And you didn't, you didn't join start this business to become a Facebook ads expert. Otherwise, you'd have started an agency and just run Facebook ads for people. So I don't think that's where you should put your time and energy. The other thing too is those platforms are moving more and more and more towards creative messaging and messaging, right? So the things that a machine can't do. A lot of people think that if they have some strategy on Facebook, oh, I got this killer Facebook ad strategy. I know these audiences and there's so many people and they, they focus on the media buying part, the advertising part of it. Well, that stuff's going away, folks. Machine learning, AI, algorithms, the Facebook got 400,000 data points on people. You know, they know more about their audience than you do. And you don't have access to that. You're a black box. It's a black box. You don't have the ability to see what audiences work. So you're really guessing. This is, you know, you're gambling here, picking those audiences. And that's what they are saying. But Facebook, Google, all these platforms are moving us away from choosing audiences and asking us to just go broad, not put any kind of selections, allow expanding uh, the interests, right? They're sneakily doing these different things. They're not, They're putting in... Uh, automated bidding strategies, automated placement strategies. So you don't choose if you want just Messenger or if you want um, uh, just Instagram stories. Or they just want you to go broad. Let them choose where to put your message, or where, where to put your creative, where to put your copy. Let them choose it because they know better than you what type of people will do what you want, whether it's to purchase or to fill out a lead form or whatever. So if you have a strategy, it's not going to work. But what that means is you can simply focus on content and creative, right? That's what they can't do. They don't know what your message is. They don't know what, what you want to push out there. So unless you are literally like, oh, yeah, I know everything I, he just said. Yeah, I get that. I understand that. Then I would not recommend you start off with that, right? It's not something that will help you in your goal of building and starting your e-commerce business. If you're Again, you're a solo founder right now. You don't have time for this right now barely have a team. You don't have any help. Uh, and so I would leave that alone for now and focus on your other channels. Unless, of course, one of your helpers that you brought around is someone who can do this uh, and you have content. Uh, sorry, I should say that's the other piece of this is it costs to get content. So you're paying for Facebook ads, you're paying for Facebook help, and you're paying for the content and creative. And worse, content and creative is harder to test than just trying different interest groups. Remember, they, the interest group stuff is going away. And that was already expensive. Now you got to make the creative. So uh, now you're paying for that or you're making it yourself, which is time. So starting there, I don't recommend to people. Now, if you really are like, I have to do this, that's fine. Then just focus on the bottom of funnel stuff, the stuff that is really high value customers like retargeting and things like that. Don't spend a lot. Don't waste a lot of time and energy here. Okay. So that's just one of those myths that people think, you know, if I start a... If I get going, once I have enough money, once I'm starting to make some good money, making about 10,000, 50,000, whatever, I got to just, I just got to jump on those Facebook ads. Not worth it, right? Another myth, 
another myth that uh, sometimes people fall into that really gets them stuck and gets in the way of scaling out of this valley of death is uh, building a billion dollar business or getting funded or all these kinds of things. If you're not in a position where you're like, I know exactly how to do that. I know who to talk to. I've got the network. I've got that. More likely, you're not going to get it. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're not going to be a unicorn. It's not going to happen. You're not just going to come from outside of that world where people throw money at young folks, right? And uh, young folks or old, whatever the age is, but they just throw money around at specific time. There's pedigree there. There's some kind of clout. There's some kind of background these people have, whether it's from some MBA program or from you know family members or from a job that they worked or something. It's a very small community, uh, relatively speaking, in terms of the job market and the larger entrepreneurial market. So they get to pick. They have the pick of the litter. And you coming out from left field with some random product, <laughs> you know, they're probably not going to give you any money. And if they do, you've got to have built such an already stable, massive market presence or have a market potential with a product that's game changing or whatever. Well, if you had that, you would already be doing well, right? You would know it and you'd be seeing it. You'd be getting after it and it would be taking off and you probably don't need them. You can just go get a loan at the bank because they see all the revenue coming in and the cash coming in, right? So trying to be a unicorn is a road to disaster, right? A lot of times, right? Because you end up making decisions that take you away from your business, going on uh, funding, you know, because even when people are in that position where they get funded, you hear stories of people going 200, 300 doors, knocking on doors, trying to get funding. And the 301st one said, yes, you got time for that? Nobody's got time for that. You don't have time for that. You got to deal with your manufacturing, your product supply, your supply chain, your development. And, well, I just hired a co-founder. Remember that whole just hire someone thing I just talked about? Don't bother with that. It's not going to happen. No one's going to sit here building you a business that is this hard to build while you're out there knocking on doors, smoozing, meeting and greeting and pitching. It's not going to happen. So focus on what's important. Product market fit. Okay. That's what we need to focus on. Okay. Another idea that kind of keeps people stuck at this, this level, right? Where they're solopreneurs, you know, trying to, trying to make it is, is discounts are bad, right? I don't think that discounts are bad. A lot of people are like, oh, we don't want to give, we don't want to dilute our brand. You don't have a brand yet, right? <laughs> You're not making more than a million bucks a year. Nobody really knows you. No one sees you. And worse, you can do, you can stop that later, change that process later. Because remember the whole point of what we're trying to solve for in the digital marketing space. If you don't remember, go back to the earlier episodes, one, episode one or two, where we talk about you're trying to build trust. People need to trust your brand to buy it. Like they never heard of you. They clicked on an ad or they clicked on a social media post or they haven't heard of you. Sight unseen, sight unseen. They, and on top of that, you're, you're asking them to buy something, from you, to give you money to put money into the internet, the card number into the internet and have it disappear and then wait for potentially weeks at a time uh, before they get their product. And they've got to believe that they're going to get that product. That's trust. They're going to trust you. And so sometimes what could help is if they're not over the edge, they're just like, you know what? I'm just not sure this price point. And remember, we price our products premium. If you did it right, you have product margin where you're charging at least six to 10 X. And my goal is that you're pricing it at 10 times what you're paying for it. They're going to pause and be like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, this looks good. The messaging is good. This solved my problem, but it's just kind of pricey. My goodness, I didn't expect to pay that much. And in fact, something kind of similar, but not exactly the same 
uh, is, you know, 20% cheaper, 30% cheaper. Why would I buy this one? Oof, oof. They're on the fence. Just give them a 20% discount. Close the deal, right? Right. That's okay. It doesn't dilute the brand because remember, we're not here to do things that don't help us for product market fit. If you if you need a reminder of that, go back to the last episode uh, where we talked about um, things like PR and creative and things. Those if people are buying because of your brand, they're not necessarily buying things because of the problems that you solve for them, and that's the key here. Right. So all that branding stuff at the beginning, remember, at this stage is not critical. It is definitely important later uh, when you're trying to maintain that trust and go mass market and get big. But you're just starting out. So use all the tools at your disposal. And again, this is a conscious choice. People have this idea deliberately like this. They put on themselves. You don't have to not discount. You can do it. So why? Why make it harder on yourself? Uh, give people a discount, especially when people reach into customer service. I see this a lot too. People reach into customer service uh, and you're like, no customer service rep, don't give that person a discount. The sale ended. Give the person a discount. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Or they already took a discount. Give them a discount. Close the sale. If somebody gets that close to buying your product, where they put something in the cart, they cho- they clicked on your ad, they clicked on your social media post, they made it through the website, they selected a product, they added it to their cart, they fell in love with the product because of all the different stuff that they saw, and they're like, this is what I want. And, oh, man, it would be nice if it was just a little cheaper. They're ready to buy if you just give them 10% off. Not even A lot of times they don't even ask for a specific percentage off. They simply say, can I get a discount? Say yes, please, and give them a little 10% welcome coupon code and close the sale. Why would you lose out on 90% of that revenue because you don't want to give up 10%? Okay. It's not, it's just not worth it. It's silly, especially if this is the ideal customer. Because guess what? You can get them to buy again. And then if you still are like, I disagree with you, Emmanuel, stop being ridiculous. Discounts hurt. Then do it now while you build up. And when you have, when you're making seven, eight figures every year, stop discounting. You can always change, okay? Now, this is similar. Branding, I mentioned it already. Branding is key. Our brand, our brand. We have to figure out our brand. And the persona development, all this stuff fits into here too. Personas and brands. And we've got to have uh, Lazy Jane and High Strung Susan. And we've got to build all these things. And we have to build our, a big kit and a press kit. And we got to make sure we have solid photos, all these kinds of things. Those are things, again, stroke the ego. They just help your pride. They make you look good. They make you feel good that you're a real brand, right? That we're big and we look good and people will respect that. They will. I I agree. But again, at this phase, who cares? No one cares about you. And it sounds harsh to say it, but they don't because you're a small brand and whatever you're selling, they probably can get something similar somewhere else. Right. And even if they can't, they don't know you. They don't care. They're not going to buy it. I'm not giving this these people money. I don't care. So your brand is not going to change that idea. What will change that idea is if your solution solves a high value problem. And again, I keep coming back to that, but that's what people care about. They care about themselves and their problems. So if you're spending a ton of time branding, you're going to have a hard time getting out of this, this phase because you're going to be doing things that just kind of waste time, right? If you've already done the basics that we talked about in the previous episode with your customer acquisition system and your supply chain and avoided the distractions and just have enough creative to help people understand, you don't need to put much more effort into 
branding. Definitely, please, by all means, don't be hiring branding people to come in and build out your brand and your fonts and, you know, getting your style guides and all these kinds of things. Those are cool uh, later on, right? Because right now, no one cares. And I'll tell you that the uh, thing that really should convince you is you can always change it, right? That's why you shouldn't worry about it right now. Like if if it was something where you decide once, right, uh, your com- what your company name is, you decide and that's it forever. It's locked in stone. I'd be singing a different tune. I'd say, you know what? Make sure you put a lot of time into projecting out to the future. What do you want this brand to be? How, do, how big do you want it to get? What's the brand architecture? What's the brand? You're small right now. Not you, You're not mass market where 90% of the population, understand, you're not Nike, right? You're not one of those brands where if Nike were to change the name of their company, that'd be a huge deal. It'd be real hard for them to rebrand. But you're small right now. Take advantage of that. Change your brand on purpose. Just go switch it up, right? Switch up your brand, switch up your message, switch up your colors, switch up your fonts. Have fun with it, right? Don't lock yourself in and tie yourself down. You don't need to do that. Don't add that burden to yourself. Okay. It's a big myth, big, big myth. And I don't recommend it. Okay. So those are a bunch of myths that I think a lot of people hold on to. Uh, and they think that they shouldn't do these things or that it's going that it, they, the things that they should do, they think that it's going to be worthwhile or it's going to help them in their business. It's not. It just gets in the way. It's another distraction. Don't believe it. Don't buy into the hype. That's the type of stuff that either funded companies do or corporate types come in and do or consultants come in and try and uh, convince you of. And we're not those people, remember. We're bootstrapped. This has to work. We've got to make money on this thing or or, or it's not going to work, right? So... All right. So those are the myths. Now let's talk about some beliefs, right? Uh, those are things, those outside things, the things we just talked about are things that come from the outside. People try and put that on you or you bring that in from the outside. But these are more internal. Beliefs, this is something where you believe this from some, for some reason. You somehow have either grown up with it or you were taught this or religion or something has, or your education, your upbringing. You have a belief that you may not even know you, you have that exists for you. Uh, that is causing you to hold back in ways that are detrimental to the growth of your business. Okay. So let's go over them. First one, shiny object syndrome. This is for you visionaries out there in that EOS traction methodology, right? Or people who consider themselves creative or idea people, which is probably a lot of you guys listen to this, right? Because you're an idea person. You're a, you're a, uh, inventor or a creator or a creative and a brand builder. And you just have ideas, just a mile a minute, mile a minute, ideas coming out. Oh, I got this. I got that. Well, when you start applying that to outside of your domain of expertise, whether that's creating or or, uh, building product development, or it can be really detrimental, really damaging, right? Especially like in the marketing, for example, where it's like, oh man, we need a lot of different channels. All right, look, man, I just heard this thing about Facebook Messenger, we got to try that. Ooh, I just heard about Pinterest ads. We got to try that too. Oh man, we got to try, you know, cold email outreach. Oh my goodness, we got to try. Oh, that's working so good. Instagram Reels just came out, guys. Let's roll. Did you know TikTok has an ad platform? Let's do it. Let's go. Put some budget there. Shiny objects. Every little thing, you're trying it. It just sounds cool to you. That is going to throw you completely out of whack, right? I'll tell you guys this. I fell prey to this. So I'm not saying something that uh, is not. True. I was thinking you need to have a 
uh, a diversified marketing strategy, right? Getting that MBA stuff, right? The four P's of marketing, right? Um, product price, price placement and positioning, right? I think that's it. I'm trying to remember it. <laughs> product price. But anyway, that's a separate thing. Go look it up if you want to know. I'm forgetting it right now. But the four P's of marketing, and I was looking at all the different ways we were thinking about, like even events, you know, for placement, and maybe we should be in stores and do pop side. And then we were looking at, you know, we should do some price testing to change the price. Uh, we should do product development. Also, we should have different products, right? Promotion. That's the other four P, right? And then we got to have BOGOs, and then we have to have volume discounts, and we have to have, you know, buy, uh, the percentages off and have a strategy around that. We even had consultants come in to give us all this stuff, and we would try everything, right? Uh, but when we first started, I, that was unnecessary <laughs> because, again, even though I don't think discounts are bad, uh, I think that um, – uh, there can be a, there's a limit, right? Uh, and all these different channels, and we were trying uh, uh, different channels. Also, we were trying Etsy ads and Facebook ads and Google ads and uh, um, goodness, what else was there? We were on uh, Amazon ads. I think I said that already, but geez, there's so many. And then we were trying SEO, right? We're doing SEO stuff, and we were trying to do blogging and content writing, and then we would find all these little random mechanisms, right? And when I give you a story, when we first started, we were doing all that stuff. And uh, one day, um, I was talking to our mentor, and we were finally starting to make some money. And she was asking me, like, where are you making money? And we went through, I went through this whole thing. I was telling what I just told you guys, right? I'm trying this, and I'm trying that, trying that. And, and you know, this one is leading to this. This one isn't working as well. That one kind of had some success. Uh, and this one did really good, but, you know, we're just not seeing, you know, how that's going to work. And then this one over here, she said, wait, stop. What was that thing you just said? I was like, oh, yeah, we reached out to some influencers. And, yeah, it had a big pop in sales, but then it dropped off. So I'm working over here. I'm like, Let me tell you about these Etsy ads I got going. And she was like, stop it, stop it, stop it. Go back. Influencer marketing, huh? You said that got you a big bump in sales and it has worked better than anything else you've told me. You need to double down on that. <laughs> Just do that. All this energy you're putting all these into all these other things, that's going to skew your focus. Put all your energy into the things that are working until they stop working. Because it's like gold mining, right? When you go to a gold mine, you don't go and bring a bulldozer and you know say, hey, I found a little bit of gold. Uh, let's go build a bring a bulldozer and all this excavation equipment and hire staff. And no, 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 no. You got to make sure you got to uh, uh, keep looking. And then when you find a vein, that's when you start going in. And that's what you're looking for. Once you find something that has some gold, you got to mine that thing, right? We found a vein. Influencer marketing is good. Like there's gold in them, their hills, right? We found gold in this channel. Why would you stop looking or stop digging and keep looking? Oh, yeah, it looks like there's a lot of gold in there, but you know we have to have multiple channels because what if this one dries up too quickly? There may not be that much gold there. Well, dig out all the gold and then go looking for some more. And that's what she was con con uh, confirming for us, and it worked phenomenally well, right? After for the next year, we built an entire process, and that's what took us from seven hundred fifty thousand a year. And uh, excuse me, from uh, it took us from probably doing about twenty to forty k. So this is about a little less less than around you know, 250,000 uh, to half a mil. And that's what shot us up over the mill. We finally were starting to hit 84K months consistently, a uh, million dollar run rate, uh, because we had built a system around. We cut out all the other ads and all the other nonsense that we were working on and we worked it until 
it stopped producing. At some point, we just like the influencers got more expensive, they were less influential. And instead of getting five or six times return on, on our investment, like we'd pay 20,000 out to influencers in one month. And when, when instead of getting, you know, an 84K month, I mean, you know, four times return, we would have a, we'd pay out 30,000 and have an 84K month, or we'd pay out 20,000 and have a 60K month. And it's kind of like, this isn't returning as much as it it used to. And that's when we switched over to a different channel. We The following year, we figured out Facebook ads, right? And we tried that. And that took us up when we took off because we learned a new scalable strategy. And we do- doubled down on that. And that actually led us to the 5 mil year. So we went from making half a mil a year to making 5 mil a year, 750K to making 5 mil a year because Facebook is a strategy you use once you've already figured out your messaging, your creative and all that. And guess what? Because we used influencers, we had a ton of creative, a ton of social proof, right? So it works well for that platform. It fits the platform. So again, those two things were literally all we focused And email, of course, we figured out email. Those th- those couple of things, which we, if you want to know more about uh, what are the things I recommend in customer acquisition, I think it was episode four, where we talked about the the things to, to do, right? Uh, those are it. That's it. And we didn't need Amazon ads, Google ads, all these different things and cold email and all these things that people were trying to recommend that we do. Okay. So, Shiny object syndrome. That's the first belief system you just got to get over. Focus your energy. So be eternally grateful. Montina Portis, right? If you're listening, if you ever hear this, thank you. That set us on the right path in terms of our marketing. You really helped out with that. Thank you. All right. Another belief system that you have to get over, right? Imposter syndrome, right? Being very judgmental about yourself and critical, right? That's something, that's something that, it's it's one of the toughest ones, and I struggle with it all the time. I don't think that I'm good at this at all, right? Uh, there was a um, a time where we were finally, I think we had just hit 84K a month in revenue, and we were making a million bucks, and all I could think was, why is this so hard? Why aren't we making money? I must suck at this. I'm doing terrible, and I wouldn't even tell anybody that you know what I did because I was embarrassed. I was like, this is this is not successful. You know, I can't tell anybody that I definitely can't tell any of my MBA people that are in business because all they'll do is laugh. Like, <laughs> oh, that's cute. You got that little business. Oh, good for you. So what do you do for work? No, I, <laughs> I'm an entrepreneur. <laughs> I was, I was, oh, really? Oh, that little thing? I, I thought that was like, oh, that's cool. Whatever. Right. Um, I felt like I was losing, you know. Meanwhile, there, how many people can say that they've taken something from zero to 84K a month in revenue? That's a significant thing, right? And honestly, you you need to understand that from the beginning till the end, that feeling of you're not doing it well enough is going to be with you. There's always going to be more that you can do. There's always going to be problems in your business. The difference is you just have better problems, right? Or you have more help to do the things, right? So the only time where this slips into being a problem is when you start to think, I'm winning or losing. I'm doing good or bad where you start to believe that you're not successful. You can't look at it like that. The way you should be looking at it is you're just playing a game. You're just in the game, right? On the football field, you're either on offense or you're on defense, right? The only way you lose is to walk off the field and quit and leave entrepreneurship, right? Offense and defense, offense, you're killing it. You're making Every deal you you go into, that you close a deal, your sales, your revenue are going up. You're dealing with 
supply chain issues because you don't have enough inventory, you're running out all the time, right? And you're making money, you're moving the ball down the field. That's a that's positive, right? You're you're going for third and one, right? <laughs> like you're trying to make it down the field. You're trying to score. That's your goal. You're growing, growing, growing. That's offense, right? Again, it still has problems. You're still having problems. You're getting hit. You're getting hurt. You're getting, you know, stuff's happening. Problems aren't going away. You have them there too. Or you're playing defense. And this is what most people, where they really start to get this imposter syndrome, I suck at this. I'm terrible, right? Uh, your, your back's against the line. You're on the one-yard line, you know, trying to throw from your own end zone. Like you're doing all these things to try and survive and not get pushed out, right? Where your supply chain's busted, uh, your sales are down, your cash flow's up, your, your, your loans are getting cold, right? Because you haven't paid them in a while. Your credit cards are getting maxed out. People are leaving the company or they're just doing a bad job. And you're like, should I fire these people? And the systems are breaking and things just aren't working. Uh, you're trying to figure it out. The thing you got to recognize is neither of those are good or bad. That's the job, right? And the fact that you're on the field means that you are killing it. You are great. You're in an arena. You're in an environment that 95% of people, the majority of human beings plus, 95% plus, will never, ever get to experience. I mean, the thing you got to think about is by you saying, oh, I'm doing bad at this, is not recognizing how good you are. Imagine Tom Brady's playing in the Super Bowl and saying, I suck as a football player. Right? Any one of us would be like, "That's ridiculous." You know, I'm stuck. I, I quit. I'm I, I'm no good at this. Right? Maybe you're having a bad day. Maybe things aren't doing well. Maybe you're down for a while. But doesn't mean that you're bad or good. It just means that you've got some problems going on right now. Right? One of the books that I love that really helped me get through this is "The Hard Thing About Hard Things" by Ben Horowitz. Uh, what he think? One of the things he says is. You've got to believe you're wired for this, right? If you're this entrepreneurship is so hard, it is hard from the time you start to the time you end. Not because, you know, making money and these things, the business part of it, because who you are, right? You have that pit in your stomach. Like you are not sure if you're doing good enough. You're not sure if the next month you're going to make it. If you're going to fit, that stays with you no matter how successful you are. This guy took multiple companies public and he said he feels that all the time. Right? And, and he says it's so hard that if you don't succeed at this, that's okay. And your business folds or whatever. That's okay. Go do a different job. Go be the president, right? Go be an astronaut. Go be <laughs> any of a number of things where you're like, wait a second, those things are really hard to become. And that's his point, right? Like it's not, it doesn't mean that you're bad or you're dumb or you're, you're incapable or you're not smart enough or any of that. It's just that this is remarkably hard, right? Why is it hard? Because there's no school for this. There's no training for this. And the older you get, the more set in your ways you become and the further away you get from being able to have a learning mindset, right? So you're kind of like, I, and on top of that, you have clout, you have a reputation, you have all these this baggage that you've got to protect. And so you're not willing to take the risks. You're not willing to feel as vulnerable and look silly and foolish out there to do the things that require to get a startup off the ground. That book helped me a lot. So when I was feeling down and feeling like I couldn't make it, uh, you it helped me see that even if I didn't want to do this, it's not because I'm a failure. It's not because I'm bad. It's, it's just the situation. And so what got me through was you have to believe you're wired for this, right? You can't look at it as an ego boost. You can't jump into this game for the validation or to make a bunch of money. The major, The main reason you jump into this is because you don't see yourself doing anything else. I don't want to work a job. 
I will never work in an office again. I like having my human interaction be through Zoom, right? I like being behind the screen and having a business that runs itself online, right? Uh, taking orders. I don't want to have a retail shop where I'm at the cash register and walk around the store, right? Like this is what I have to do. I can't sit in an office all day. And so when I started to realize that, it's like, wait a second. It doesn't matter if I'm good at this or bad at this. I'm in it. I'm doing it. I'm wired for this. I don't want to do anything else. And you know what? I'm willing to put up with all this nonsense to get going, right? And that's what really helps you get over that imposter syndrome is that you realize I don't need to play the game with imposter syndrome. I don't need to worry about if I'm good at it or not. I'm in the game. Hey, I'm not bankrupt. I'm still here. So must be winning. If I got a dollar in my bank account and I can still play, <laughs> I'm good to go, right? Uh, and one idea... Um, that can help is this, this voice. There's a voice in your head that, you know, that says, you're no good. You're not doing it right. I'm no good at this. You suck. You know, you're bad. All you have to do is tell that little voice, I'm getting good. I'm getting good. I'm getting there. You don't have to be good. You don't have to be anything. You just got to get there eventually. Okay. All right. Another belief system that really uh, hits people hard and keeps them stuck is perfectionism, analysis, paralysis. There must be a right way, right? Uh, there's not, there's no right way, especially if you're doing it right. There's no school for this. Like I was just talking about, like you've grown up every job you used to do that you, that is out there that there's training for. They always ask for several years of experience, education, right? You well, from the time you were born, you've been being trained to for the workforce, right? Social customs with your parents. Then you go into school where you learn social customs and norms and you get trained on a base level of education on how the world works and how the work world works. You go to college, trains you for a specific uh, discipline, right? Uh, then you maybe get advanced degrees, which are even more specific, so that then you can go to a company that gives you even more job-specific training. And then you get people around you who are doing similar things, who are imparting wisdom on you and showing you how to do that specific thing. And then you finally are on your own, right, to do things. Well, guess what? None of that applies <laughs> to what you're doing now, to your company. It doesn't apply to your, uh, your startup, your business. You're figuring all of that out. Those are at least you know, 12 to 18 years worth of training that you would have for a, a, an entry-level job anywhere else, you don't even have that. You may not even have 12 to 18 months because you just came up with this idea and you're like, let me do it, especially if you're a quick start, you know, very visionary, like I'm just going to do it. And somebody who just jumps into things, you may have 12 to 18 days. You're like, let me just do it. And now all of a sudden you're faced with things you haven't faced before, right? How many guys have had to write an operating agreement for your company, right? That's not something that you potentially were trained on how to do, right? And even if you were trained on how to do it because you're in the legal field, right? Have you been trained on how to make a, a quality assurance document tech pack for your creative invention so that uh, you can make sure that the uh, people in the manufacturing facility understand the quality standards of your work? And even if maybe you happen to have had that, uh, have you ever run a Facebook ad, right? Have you been trained on how to do that, right? There's so many different things you're just going to have to figure out as you go, which means that the only, the only training for you is the school of hard knocks, the most painful and brutal way to learn. And that's what you signed up for without, whether you realize it or not, that's the only way you're going to learn. So if you're stuck thinking there's a right way and you're getting paralysis analysis, let go of that, right? Just throw it out there and see what sticks. Your goal as an entrepreneur 
is to bring an idea to market and keep trying and trying, getting feedback and testing and failing un before the money runs out, right? You're just riding that line. Like we're, we're making this investment in this idea and we're going to see how it goes. Hopefully it doesn't break the bank, but you know, we don't have enough money for that. Like, well, we got to try something, right? You just got to try it. Uh, the worst thing that could happen is if you get stuck, right? Trying to be perfect and all oh, let's work on it. Let's work on it. Let's try it out. Let's plan it. Let's, you know, the things that you would do in a company where you have multiple people who are trained, who are able to speak to this idea and provide input, like have committees and really think it through. You have that brain trust, that knowledge, and also they have stability. They have time to figure that out. You don't, you need to you know, figure out a strategy, a plan to figure out how to get this product, the solution to people who have this problem, right? And you've got to get it out quick. And you've got to figure out how to get a 10x product margin. You got to figure out the customer acquisition pipeline. You got to figure out your supply chain pipeline. You got to figure that out quick because guess what? You've got bills to pay. You potentially have uh, systems in place. You know, those Shopify fees, you got to pay them, right? And if you're not making money, you don't have time to build a committee and think through how are we going to build this Facebook ad? How are we going to come up with this tech bag? Just throw something out there. <laughs> Just give them something. Start somewhere. And then they'll come back to you and say, that didn't work. Uh, we need this. Oh, okay. And then you learn and then you change it. And you go. And you learn and you change it. And you go. And in the case where you're not talking to another person, look at the data. If you're running an ad or you're running social media posts, oh, we threw that out there. It didn't work. Oh, my goodness. Well, what do you mean it didn't work? Well, no one looked at it. No one saw it. Okay, what do we do now? And you solve those problems by through by trying by trying things right you're not sitting there for six months trying to come up with a social media post by then it's too late right you missed it we'll kind of make a facebook ad so get comfortable with failure as your direction get comfortable with the school of hard knocks as your primary form of education get comfortable with that uh, and lean on that so that you can fight that analysis paralysis and perfectionist perfectionism Okay, another belief. Growth for the sake of growth, right? We're going to be unicorn, right? We're going to uh, build a billion dollar company. We're going to be a hundred million dollar company. We're going to be <laughs> all that stuff. Who cares? Like, honestly, it doesn't matter. If you're going to be that, be that later. But right now, you're a startup, right? All that kind of talk and all that stuff works when you're convincing someone else to invest in you or to do you a favor or to look at you a certain way. That does nothing to help your bottom line at all. You don't have time for that stuff, right? Uh, and so growing uh, is actually, if any, not only is it you don't have time for it and it's not going to help you, it doesn't do anything at all, is it's, it could hurt you. And that's what a lot of people don't see. If you're going to try and build a $100 million company, you're going to be in pain for a long time, right? Because that is a ton of orders. That's a ton of volume. You need a ton of investment, a ton of funding, because you're starting from zero, right? You can't fund that kind of growth fast, right? Without outside investment and without a lot of validation, a lot of stuff, right? So that's hard, right? So I tell people all the time, I have to have this conversation with them, growth is a choice. You don't have to grow. And for some people, it's liberating, right? They're looking at their their revenue, their income statement, and they're like, man, last month we made 50000 but this month we made forty five. Oh, God. Oh, what are we going to do? We... We're supposed to be at sixty thousand this month. The next month we're supposed to be at seventy thousand. Next month eighty thousand, or or they're like the the financial people who are like, uh, we want seven percent month over month growth, or else this is a bad business, right? Or we want twenty percent year over year growth. We want fifty percent. Stop. You don't have to. If you've got a business that's paying you a full time income, 
why would you need anything else? You've got your time back. You're doing something you love. You're doing something you enjoy. You're talking to customers. You're building products. Just stay there. Enjoy it. Or if you've reached a certain level, maybe you get to 100,000. Maybe that's where you need to be to feel comfortable. Or it's just stable. Uh, you Just stay there, right? Because if you start to grow, you're going to need to hire more people. You're going to have more orders. You're going to have more customer service. You're going to have more supply chain. You're going to have more management headaches. You're going to have more, 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 more. You don't have to choose that. So don't if you don't want it. Know that. If you need permission to slow your growth, that's okay. If you had a down month this month, that's fine. You can plan for them. But look, I want to go on vacation next month. So guess what? We're going to shut the company down for a week. <laughs> Do it. Right? You don't have to grow. So anyway, I've said enough on that. Okay. Another one. Debt is bad. That debt is bad. So this is one, especially if uh, uh, you come from uh, more conservative roots and, and or religion or in some way, like taking on debt. We struggled with this one for a while. And that's a tough one in the e-commerce space because you're not a tech company. Right, you're not a company. Your building of your business eats cash. It eats it, right? Like you use a lot of cash to build your business. Just think about it. If you start at zero in an e-commerce business, you have to buy inventory first before you sell it. That's the majority of folks. Now, there's pre-order models and things, and that's how you solve this problem. But we have a cash flow problem in our business model. It's built into our business model as e-commerce founders, where we have to take cash and pay first before we get revenue for that for that inventory. So your cash flow crunches are built into the model, right? So that money's got to come from somewhere, right? It comes from your savings, uh, it comes from or it comes from uh, financing sources, whether it's debt or equity, right? So equity, I don't like that because now you're giving away control, right? Some points you can end up giving people more of your company, now you work for them, which is a job, which is like, that's what I was trying to avoid. I wanted to be independent. If you want a job, go work for a company that does what you're doing and try and convince them to launch your products. That's a much simpler way of doing it than becoming than getting equity partners. Just go work for another company because you're taking all the risk without any of the benefits, right? If you want equity partners or you want someone to have control and tell you what to do or have a decision-making uh, power or, or is a partner, then just go, just go work at a company uh, that does this stuff. It's not worth the aggravation of the headache, in my opinion. Again, this is for us bootstrapped entrepreneurs, right? Um, so that leaves debt, right? Especially if you don't have savings. A lot of us don't have enough savings to really fund uh, uh, e-commerce operation long term, especially when you start hitting in the seven, eight figure mark. You, you just don't have that kind of savings. And why would you want to anyway? Uh, use debt. Go get a loan. That's what helped us really get going because... What you're able to do is there's multiple benefits is now you start to uh, leverage, use use leverage or buy more inventory and you can lower your cost of goods because you're making more bigger inventory buys, right? So debt's not bad in this case. Now, debt is bad if you use it as a debt, right? Where you simply owe people uh, for, some, for something you bought or paid for and now you have to pay for it later. The way I'm describing debt is I'm describing it as leverage, right? Think of it as those folks. It's almost like the Wall Street folks that, you know, they, they take out a loan to put it into an asset that is going to appreciate quickly, and then they're able to make more on that money than they would have if they had only used what they have available. That's leverage. So there's a return on that money. 
That's how you should think of your inventory, right? Now, if you're buying a ton of inventory more than you need, that's, again, that's debt. But if you know there's a, there's a high confidence rate that you're going to make that money back, pay your manufacturers with a loan, right? Pay your manufacturers with debt. Debt is not bad in that case. It's now leverage because now you're able to buy three, four, five times more inventory. And when you, at cost, and when you sell it out later, you make three, four, five times more revenue than you would have if you just used your 401k or your savings or didn't have that loan. Now, again, this is stress. I stress, don't be uh, undisciplined about it. It has to be leverage, not debt. And then it's okay because you're using it specifically for inventory for an asset that's going to have a return. Now, if you start just you know, funding payroll and hiring extra people because we got this loan or or paying for your bills, you know, that you, you're like, oh, I don't have the money for it. Let's just use the line of credit. Then that's not the same. You, this has to be used for a return on investment. So whether you put limits on it, get a card that's only good with this manufacturer, uh, something like that, that's good. Or if you're like, you know, I think we can sell 40000 next month, but we're going to buy enough inventory for the next six months, 12 months. Now you're sliding into debt. You're not sure if you can sell that. You don't know that. That's too much inventory. Yeah, but either way, okay, leverage versus debt. Okay, another belief system that um, may hurt you besides debt and uh, leverage and all the rest that we talked about is external validation. This is going to hurt you bad. Uh, and we'll close with this one is, you know, I want to get, I want people to believe that I made it. I want people to know that I made it. I want to prove them wrong. I want them to see that, you know, quitting my job wasn't wasn't a bad decision, that I can do this, right? Or you want the clutches of success, right? Things like the Inc. 5000. I want to be a unicorn. I want to be funded, you know, 30 under 30, 40 under 40, 50 under 50. I need that external validation. That's okay if you want it. That's fine. It's dangerous when it starts to blind you, right? Because it's similar to growth as a choice. A lot of people, they sometimes make decisions to grow, or to hire staff, or to hire a team, not because they actually need it in their business, but because it'll look good, right? You're part of a mastermind group, and everybody's growing. They're having six-figure months. Come on, guys, six-figure months. And you're at 50K, and you're like, oh, oh, come on, guys, we can double. Let's, if we work really hard next month, we can we can get that, uh, that award, or we can get that recognition, or two-comma club. We're going to be part of the two-comma club, guys. We're going to make it this year. This is the year. We're going to do it. And we push, 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 push. But you're only doing 100000 a year right now. You're going to 10x your business? That means 10 times more, more employees, 10 times more orders, 10 times more customer service, 10 times more everything. Why don't you just double or 20% or 30%? Like, if that, like, you can do those things, be the two-comma club, but don't do it because you want to impress somebody else. That's really dangerous. Or you want to be on the Inc. 5000 list of fastest growing companies, right? Growth is a choice. You don't have to choose it. So don't put that pressure on yourself. This business thing is hard enough without adding on unnecessary pressure. Your goal should be to figure out problems that your customers have and build solutions for them. That is a full-time, multiple full-time person job. That's why we're going to start hiring soon. So don't worry about impressing other people. Don't add that onto yourself. It's hard enough. I think we've talked all these myths and beliefs to death. These are the things that really get you uh, stuck in the valley of death, right? That environment where you're trying to make it out from solopreneur to hiring a team to staffing up uh, and out of this chasm, right? Uh, of uh, this trough of, I just can't quite make it work. Uh, I'll tell you, we got stuck here for a while. 
Uh, we got to about that five mil from 750K to five mil. And we stayed there in two years. That was two years. Bang, rocket ship growth. And this is what stuck us, right? Trying to figure out we couldn't we couldn't run a $5 million business, just, just us anymore. And we needed to start hiring people and not just employees, but executives and managers to manage those employees because it was a ton of work. We almost killed ourselves as a family trying to run this business. And we had all kinds of helpers and people that just weren't as, as uh, committed to the vision. And we started to get people who weren't just believers in us and the family and trustworthy. And they just didn't work as hard. And those far less. And so we we churned through a lot of people. And we were stuck at five mil for three and a half years, three, four years for a while. Just didn't grow because we were stuck in this kind of valley where we just couldn't push past it. And it wasn't because we didn't have good ideas. It wasn't because we weren't, the market wasn't there. The market's still there. It's a huge market. Uh, it's because we just couldn't scale ourselves. We couldn't put that same, those systems in place that you needed. And we were holding ourselves back. And so once we kind of realized that, uh, we were able to put the systems in place and we, you know, crossed seven and a half mil and pacing towards our eight figure business now. So a lot of these mindsets and these myths, right, and beliefs, these are things that were the things that were kept us stuck at that place, right? Uh, not wanting to, uh, wanting to grow, but not having the systems built in place for grow growing, right? No discounts, right? Those kinds of things. Just hiring someone. Um, run, just focusing entirely on Facebook ads, right? Uh, or the beliefs, you know, the shiny object syndrome, trying a bunch of different things. At one point we had a kiosk in the mall, right? That we were trying to manage and we've tried all, we were going to trade shows that, uh, that just didn't fit. We were doing PR, we, you know, the imposter syndrome, we were really constantly looking to our left and right. What's Apple doing? What's, you know, this company doing and getting imposter syndrome that we weren't winning perfectionism, right? We were constantly overanalyzing everything. Oh, we're not doing this right. You're not doing it. Your department sucks. Your department sucks, right? We're growing. We didn't believe that debt was a leverage, right? We were always constantly bickering about debt is bad. And, you know, we were trying to get external validation, right? We were trying to get uh, we we, would, we had family, friends, and different groups that we were a part of. And, the, you know, you'd hear, you, it wasn't like, oh, we want to look good to them. But you'd see kind of these people, these ideas of, you know, hey, we're coming up on this thing. And all of a sudden, everyone wants to, you know, look good for this event where we're going to see people that we know. And we want to, you know, maybe bring them products and let them see how good we are, right? These kinds of things get in the way. So don't let this happen to you, right? Uh, just focus on what's important, what we've been talking about in the last couple episodes, and you'll be fine. All right. So subscribe, rate, and review this show on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast hosting platform. If you know of any other e-commerce businesses trying to go from six to seven figures a year in revenue, share this show with them. Visit our website, www.alayasystems.com, and sign up for our newsletter. As a thank you for signing up for our newsletter, you'll immediately get access to our Clavio email marketing resource kit. A must if you're selling online to make sure you're getting the most revenue you can from back-end sales and not having to constantly scale through paid acquisition. I'm Emmanuel Alea. We'll see you on the next episode.